Occhio destro dominante. Right eye dominant. Rechtes Auge dominant. Right eye dominant. Höhere Eye dominant. Right eye dominant. Allein der Lumina in Muhaimina Right eye dominant. This is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I am your host, Nick Toro Jr. For today's episode, I am going into delicate territory. I'm going to be talking about AI, artificial intelligence, new technology, how it's affecting creativity, specifically visual arts, photography, but also in a larger sense, how is AI affecting the world today and how will it in the future? Many people are worried, concerned, not only for their livelihood going away due to AI, but also maybe bringing the end of the world as we know it all due to machine learning. I don't want to go along with the doomsayers and think that the sky is falling. I really want to just explore the whole idea of what AI is and what it can do and how it is a tool that as a visual artist and a photographer, I might be able to use in my own work and not to be afraid of the future. To that end, I invited a special guest. He is here to talk with me. His name is Boris L. Daxon. Boris is well-versed in AI and all of the platforms that are being used to generate new creative work using artificial intelligence. Boris is a great person to talk to about this subject because he actually uh, got some notoriety because he had entered a photo competition and the entry was an image that he utilized AI to generate. And that created a lot of uproar. And we do discuss a little bit of that. But in a more general way, Boris and I explore the whole idea of using technology to help create our artistic vision. And as a photographer uh, and as a graphic artist, somebody who uses a computer, I know that any change in technology can be perceived as a threat to the status quo, but at the same time opens up a new world of possibilities. And so it's in that spirit that Boris and I have this discussion today. This one is a really provocative conversation. I hope you get into it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Boris L. Daxon. Thanks for joining me today. All right. Well, uh, welcome to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast, uh, Boris L. Daxon. Well, hello from Berlin. <laughs> One of my favorite cities. I've been there numerous times. I love it. Um, although you were telling me it's snowy there, so maybe I'm, I'm better yes. off. I'm better off in New Mexico right now. So, Boris, thank you uh, for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We met in person in Paris back in November, and um, I was just thrilled to touch base with you there. And that led to this conversation today. So thanks again. For my listeners who uh, might not know who you are, can you just give us a brief little sort of background statement? We don't have to, you know, go down to a, to a, a, a very descriptive path, but basically why we ended up talking uh, today. 
Uh, I'm a visual artist based in Berlin, and I have been working with photography for over 30 years. In Germany, I'm engaged in a couple of photographers' associations, and I was one of the first in the German photo community to um, experiment with AI, and one of the first to teach workshops, to give lectures. So in 2022, in autumn, when photo competition started again with open calls, I made tests. I uh, just handed in an AI-generated image to see if photo competitions would see that it was generated. And to my surprise, they didn't. To my surprise, one and the same image was shortlisted three times and selected as a winner in the Sony um, World Photography Award. And um, because they didn't want to pass on my information that was generated at a test, they didn't uh, respond to media inquiries about the nature of my work. I refused the image on stage at the award ceremony in London. And that went viral and became global news because for the first time, people realized what the technology can do, the possible dangers for democratic societies, disinformation, um, also questioning the nature of art, questioning the nature of photography. And I'm very happy that I could help and contribute to get this conversation going. Yeah, it, it's it's um, definitely just those last few points that you made um, are, are really what why I'm excited to be having this conversation today, because I think that obviously being in the creative field or if you're an artist or a photographer or working in technology, clearly AI is just something that you couldn't ignore. Certainly over the last probably year, it's just been, you know, front and center. However, um, attached to that has been so much uh, fear or trepidation or just downright animosity towards the idea of, of AI just in general. And then specifically in, in artistic and, and photographic uh, circles, I, I, I don't know if there's an equivalent to it, except that, you know, when digital photography or Photoshop was, you know, like first came on uh, the scene, there was maybe similar a bit, uh, yeah. reactions uh, to it. However, this seems even more forceful and more global. And I think to your point, uh, there's ramifications to the accuracy of information and threats to democracy and all of the things that we know uh maybe left to uh, humans' worst impulses, those are things that I'm not dismissing the concern because I think that that is a concern. But I think there's also this this sort of desperation of resistance to it. And and uh, I just, that's that's sort of what I want to dig into a little bit more. And from the standpoint of it being artistic-focused, uh, um, I think that might be a good launching point. So mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that uh, the, the the pushback when you you shared 
an AI generated image into a, a sort of a platform where people were one, probably not expecting it or looking for it. And then the fallout afterwards, let's talk a little bit. I just want to hear your thoughts on sort of this, this mindset of resistance to this particular technology from a creative standpoint. What have, what have you seen, heard and experienced on that front? Well, it's very important to keep in mind that I have been photographing for 30 years and I still love photography. Uh, I will always come back to photography. It has been the basis of my artwork for decades now. But at the same time, I love to work with AI image generators. Uh, as an artist, for me, it's also um, liberating from material restrictions for the first time, I can work purely out of my imagination. And in my photographic work, I was never interested in documenting things. I wanted to transform what was in front of the lens into a timeless symbol of the human condition. And uh, it was always um, a long process and a, a training to transform form images with photographic means and now i can work purely for my imagination this is something that i love also what most people don't take into account is that it's a more complex than you think and i would like to talk about this um later mm -hmm. it's also important to talk about the difference between photography and uh, ai image generating in the workflow, in the motivation, and also in the steps of creativity. And to start that, I would like to state that I see AI image generators as a knowledge um, booster. I can use all the knowledge that I have collected in 30 years and um, use it in, in the process. Because what people oversee is that creative process has three steps. The first step is starting with a prompt, telling the machine what kind of image you would like to have generated. And the more precise you are, um, the better the outcome will be. And if you start with text prompting, um, I have identified up to 13 text prompt elements that you could use to really steer the image generating. You don't need to. You can use like two of them. Trump mm -hmm. gets arrested, which is subject and action. That's fine. But you can be more specific. And then this is part one, the prompt. It depends on your knowledge, how specific and complex you are prompting. Um, and then you make a difference between you and the average prompter. And then step two is the machine is doing all the mathematics, the probability, uh, generating images. Often it's four of them. And then it's step three. Again, uh, you need a human being to evaluate. Is that good enough? Has my prompt been translated in a way that I wanted it to? Is something missing? How can I improve the text prompt? And then you start again in in... Uh, with step number one, fine-tuning text prompt. And you can have many, many loops here. Sometimes you are stuck and then you need to change the platform. You need to change the workflow. There are no handbooks for workflows. It's all in flux. It's a very fast development 
where often you have new features on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And often when I got stuck and I didn't know how to solve a problem, a new feature was released and saved me. So um, this is the first thing that I would like to, to stress that the creative process is more complex than you think. And I never stop with uh, the first uh, generating of images. It's yeah. always a beginning. And my workflow is so complex now that sometimes <laughs> I leak over a hundred steps to get to the result. And um, setting up a workflow takes time. I'm not saving time here. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me jump in on that because there's there's a few interesting things that you're you're bringing up. First of all, um, I think that a gut reaction or an immediate reaction to the image generation process, and and we'll get into the specifics of different platforms. But is that um, just like you said? And I liked your example, so I'll reuse it. Trump gets arrested. You can have just like a very simple uh, prompt. And I think that uh, the the assumption is, is that after one or two sort of statements that this image then comes out fully formed or that mm -hmm. it it's like what you're describing is a counter to, I think, a, a lot of people's immediate reaction is that this isn't a simple process. It's there. And it's there's and from an artistic standpoint, I was really. Uh, like I made correlations to what you were describing of your workflow. It could be the same thing if you needed to describe somebody like shooting a photograph onto film, yeah. processing it, going into the dark room and explain that workflow. It's, 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 that is long time consuming, complicated, challenging in a very similar manner. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I find it encouraging actually that you're describing it that way because I think that um, sort of undermines a, 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 a just a pervasive reaction to AI that it's just like this simple, you know, a couple of commands or hit a couple of keys and then, um, and then you're done. It depends what kind of image you would like to get. If you want to have a simple mashup like Batman in a Barbie outfit, it's possible very quickly. But right. what I'm looking for differs from the mainstream in AI. And I would like to do things that uh, go beyond those um, pop cultural uh, references. And uh, my last workflow was starting with text prompt, uh, using the results of those text prompts and um, fuse them with Midjourney Blend. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, an interim image that is taken further uh, with an image prompt. That means you are prompting using an image as a reference, or it can be multiple images, and a text prompt. And again, what I got out of this was not the final image. It was something that I refined in many different steps um, with in-painting and out-painting. And that means you are erasing certain parts of the image you dislike, and then you tell in a new prompt what you would like to have generated instead. Out-painting is the same process, but you are making the canvas larger. You are adding pixels. And these are basic options of most platforms. It's just that each platform 
renames in and out painting and calls it uh, generative fill or generative expand, mm -hmm. like Photoshop is doing mm -hmm. it or calls it uh, Zoom or very region like Midjourney is calling it. But uh, these things I com combine and I always try to experiment with new workflows. Um, these days I have uh, a project where I work with Midjourney first. And as we know, Midjourney is highly censored. Uh, it's um, not possible to generate any nudity like you can do in stable diffusion. Hmm. So I generate images with dressed people And then later I have uh, a Nudify app <laughs> that helps you to get rid of the clothing. Huh. And then later I can add again and I can draw over it. And uh, the combinations are endless. And I really enjoy combining platforms. Um, you have uh, many upscalers that help you to enlarge the pixel size. They add pixels, so the upscaled image is also more defined. Mm -hmm. And depending on your personal preferences, you can allow the machine to improvise in the upscaling. And then it becomes a sort of hallucination on uh, your initial image and can become quite interesting. So... Uh, features and options become more and more and I can invite uh, people and photographers to try it out yourself. It, mm -hmm. It's not um, that simple. Uh, and the positive thing is you can use your knowledge in the workflow to create new workflows, to use your knowledge in prompting, you to use your knowledge in evaluating and see where it takes you. For me, it's very exciting because it's it's new territory. We just see like the, the, the coastline of this new continent. Mm -hmm. And um, last time I was as excited um, as 30 years ago when I started with my studies. And now I have 30 years experience that I can use in the process. So... That is fascinating me. And I think that is something that we should talk about. There are many similarities in the workflow with um, photography. Um, for example, um, the element of chance. Mm -hmm. yeah, that uh, you start prompting and you steer it, but you will always be a little bit surprised about mm -hmm. the outcome and then you refine it. This is what I did love and still love about photography. For 20 years, I was going to the center of Berlin at Museums Island in the middle of the night. It's in my neighborhood. And I know the place very well. And I'm always surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always surprised of what is happening, what people are doing. And um, my speciality in photographing was... Um, being a street photographer and just being a shadow at night photographing what is happening, but transforming it in a way that most people thought it was staged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And most people couldn't find out where it was done and what time and how old the image actually was. But um, I was working like a street photographer. I just had a different um, goal. 
And life did always surprise me. Photography did surprise me. And now it's AI that is surprising me. And I'm still the same artist that is reacting. But there is a different role for me as an artist, where as a photographer, I was the main instrument. I was the, the lead singer. And now I work with an, a, a machine that was trained on millions of images. So that training data is forming a choir, an anonymous choir. And mm. I now become the director. I stop being the instrument myself. And I need to make sense out of this, this choir and the voices. And I need to connect with them. I need to connect with my artistic personality. And that is something that I can do in the first and in the last step of the creative process in the prompting and, and the evaluating. Having said this, I know that the trend and that all platforms are working on automating also the prompting and automating the evaluation. Mm. And I think it will progress. But myself as an artist, I will stick to um, doing the prompts myself, not to outsource it to ChatGPT4 right. and to do the evaluation myself because this is where I connect as a human being and this is the sort of interaction I would like to have. But if you're working in an ad agency and you need to generate certain images that are symbolic and it needs to be fast and yeah, as good enough for the client, mm -hmm. you can do so to yeah. save money and to make a profit. Yeah. So let I'm going to jump in there because you just hit on some actually several things. First of all, you use the analogy of either being a you know like a composer or a conductor or director, a director. Um, I actually wrote, yeah. yeah, I wrote down in my in my notes before the conversation that it's almost the idea of being a film director. Yeah. And you have a concept of something in your mind that does not exist. And it could be based in reality or it could be fantasy and, you know, outer space. But it's an idea in your mind. And you need to figure out a way to manifest that, not only through a, a narrative structure or, I mean, that's, and that's even a, a, a broad stroke, but bringing something to life visually to me this that made a lot of sense to me when I, I really started to think about it because a film director will enlist writers uh, crew for lighting stage art department yeah. cinematographer uh, you know all of these things and and it is all based in an original at some point that was an original or an just an idea. I don't even want to say original. It was an idea yeah. in someone's mind to bring that into fruition. And the means to do that for a filmmaker or a film director is, you know, I mean, it's generally acceptable of, of a process that is done, you know, all the time, all around the world for decades and hundred years now. So uh, this idea of it being a prompter being a like being a composer, I I know that the, even the terminology, and I've heard you use like a promptographer as a, sort of a, a descriptor of what you do or what one could do, and you're in some ways it, it feels like you're you're you are also a composer 
of of visuals. So I find that really uh, really interesting. The the other thing that struck me with what you just were, were saying though is that this idea of um, of not surrendering certain aspects of the process to um, the machine or to the program or whatever. Um, you, you actually mentioned something that, so full disclosure, my day job, I work in an advertising agency. I uh, do creative direction, mostly for video projects. So one of the things that was attractive to me using, I use mid journey on, on, uh, you know, concept storyboards where not, you know, probably last year, this time I was probably rifling through stock photos to try to find something that represented my idea and then to do it consistently across six or eight panels to sell, you know, a, a concept uh, to me, like the, the mid journey was a godsend because I could, I can think something in my imagination, prompt it and get, whether it's uh it 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 solves the quick problem that i needed solved which it did or something that's much deeper and personal creative artistic expression which obviously would take longer but that idea to me was so uh attractive that it, and and so here's the thing though i look at that and you touched on it because there's there's money attached to this right so there's money like as as a creative director at my agency, I'm like, oh, I could just do this. And now I don't need a storyboard artist or I don't need a production assistant to kind of jam these things out. And I think that you, you take in the uh, economics of it, which I don't necessarily want to go down that rabbit hole. But again, like that's part of like this chorus of resistance that I hear about AI. It's going to take away jobs or it's going to... I think that what you said earlier is this human imagination. at Like your imagination is at the core of what you are creating with these tools. And there's yeah. not a substitute. I mean, unless I'm being naive or optimistic, I don't think that there's a substitute for that component uh, of the process. I think so too. Um, I have been on many panel talks where um, people are either very depressed because they think that um, AI is going to replace human creativity or they are just uh, in a gold rush <laughs> mode. And uh, what I often miss in the discussion is a certain complexity and an understanding of the gray areas and to see um, 360 degrees of it. And in conversations, I often ask, what kind of glasses do you want me to look through? Yeah, I I can see the positive and the negative sides and all big inventions of mankind have positive and negative sides. And it's very important to be transparent about this so we are able to use the positive aspects and to, to shape the negative aspects and to kind of like keep them in check. And um, with AI images, and everything that is AI uh, related, uh, people use terminology that is not defined. 
and they behave like it is defined and we are all understanding the same. But what is creativity? What is intelligence? What is consciousness? Um, last autumn, you had so many studies coming out of universities telling us that uh, ChatGPT was scoring very high in creativity tests and is now as creative as a human being. But we didn't get the definition of creativity. And when you dig deeper and you ask, what is your definition of creativity? Then it's becoming interesting. So maybe I can ask you, what is your definition as a creative in many different aspects? Um, what is creativity? Mm, yeah. Well, can you put it in two sentences? No, I, I can't. I, 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 and actually, cre you could say creativity. I attach to that are terms that I, I actually ruminate more so on uh, or, or curiosity and imagination. Mm -hmm. Because I think they're, they underpin, I mean, my, what my definition of creativity or yours or anybody's really, I think is, that's a variable, obviously, but attached to it is what's, what's your imagination, your capacity to imagine scenarios, whether they're visual or they're just, you know, based completely in, you know, non-reality. But I think your imagination is a key component to this. Your curiosity mm -hmm. clearly is a key component to this. And so incorporating those into this approach or this discussion of utilizing AI, I think that part of, and you mentioned something earlier, and I know we chatted about this in person back in November, um, when I was just sort of dipping my toes into the mid-journey pool, is that very quickly it showed that either the majority, I don't want to, this is going to sound elitist and I don't mean it to. It, it shows very quickly the limits of a person's imagination or their curiosity. Or at, like you said, uh, I Batman in a Barbie outfit. Like, I, honestly, like the, I've, I've seen a flood of things on mid journey while I'm waiting for my images to generate yeah. that, uh, that are the, the equivalent of that. And it, I think that to me, in some ways that, that strengthens my sort of resolve because I think, well, I personally, if I'm utilizing these things, I want to break beyond sort of these cliches yes. or expected. But then at the same time, I see that and, I, and I'm like, is this what people like, are these, is this really what we need to be utilizing these tools for is more, it's just, yeah. it seems like it's a, a very low level of, of really imagination more than yes, anything but you else. Have, but if you look at photography, <laughs> it's yeah. not that differently. No, uh, the majority no. of photographs are boring. Yeah, And uh, it depends on a single vision, on a subjective view. And uh, for me, I see three main groups of users of AI image generators. Um, the average user has no background in image making. And uh, now they can produce something that was impossible before because they had no training, no talent, no, no time and money. And um, now it's quick. It's possible yeah, to have Batman dressed as Barbie and um, 
people just love doing it because, um, yeah, they get applause from their friends and this is what they are looking for. And, but it, it shows the unconsciously the influences of the maker. Um, what do you like? Yeah. And, and what, yeah, what comes to your mind if you need to come up with an idea because you are sitting there at the computer and it's upon you to formulate a prompt. If you go out with the camera and you are photographing, most photographers react. <laughs> but yeah. now you're sitting at your inner living room. What can you react to? Yeah, what comes to your mind? And the, the second group of users are the prompt engineers, and they have a background in image making that is commercially. They have a product, a target group, and they use the new tool um, to generate images that have been produced differently before. But again, it shows also unconsciously the cliches of the industry and of advertising. Mm -hmm. And um, there is an, uh, an agency in Berlin that is representing AI artists, like what agencies with photographers did in advertising in the past. Mm -hmm. So first of those new agencies pop up and then they show what they are creating. And then I think, okay, ooh, it's a lot of cliches. Um, but yeah, this is what magazines and advertising is about very often. And I also have been working in advertising for 20 years as somebody that was uh, doing strategy or creating images, uh, not images, creating ideas. But third group of users are what I call um, prompt whisperers. Mm -hmm. um, they are artists having the knowledge of prompt engineers, but there is no product, no target group. So here it's an inner journey. And it's about you being aware, being conscious about you, the influences you have had, about the images that you produced in the past, what connected them, what you would like to express. And that is for me also very beautiful that if you think it till the end, uh, AI image generators are a tool for an inner journey, are mirrors of yourself. And I also like the fact that the training data is a wild mix from the internet and as such it's a mirror of mankind yeah it's a collective unconscious that carl gustav jung tried to formulate 100 years ago in his psychology yeah creativity yeah uh, defining creativity if you look at wikipedia you will see that it, it's defined as something that is original new and useful <laughs> huh. It needs to be new, useful. And I think why? But at yeah. the end, anything can be useful. Like eating a lot of sugar can be useful for my dentist. So, um, and then if it's new and original, um, how do we scale this? Is it global? <laughs> Is it mm -hmm. a continent? Is it a nation? Is it a town? Is it a person? And um I think we need to talk more about creativity and the different forms of creativity and cre creative theories. And there are not that many. Once I tried to, um, to draft up a seminar about uh, creative theories, um, I was uh, teaching at an art school in Australia for some time and uh, used a lot of philosophy and psychology in the mix and i got interested 
in creativity. Uh, creativity as a theory starts with psychology, so it's like 200 years old. Um, but if you can go back to um, the mythology uh, of creation, and then it becomes very interesting. Mm -hmm. If you go to, to uh, Jewish Christian uh, theology, you have God that is the first prompt engineer, <laughs> so to say, creating everything with words because he wanted it to be day and night, to have water and land, and it was produced by God saying it. It's a text prompt. Uh, but if you go to uh, Egyptian uh, mythology, you have the gods of night and chaos creating uh, um, life. And it's a different uh, interpretation of creativity. So I think we need to talk about creativity. And there's one theory that can help us understanding how AI works. That's by Margaret Ann Bowden. Uh, she's in her 80s and studied uh, psychology, philosophy, computer science. And her theory is not new. It helps and she divides creativity in three different parts. One is um, combination. And this is what we see. Yeah, You combine Batman and Barbie mashups. And it's something that uh, we have been doing in the arts, in advertising, in creativity um, forever. Mm -hmm. um, if you go back to the surrealists, uh, they just used a cup of tea and fur, and glued the fur on the cup of tea. It's a combination. And mm -hmm. this is something that AI can do very well. And the majority of images we see in mid-journey are combinations. And then AI can be used to explore things, given spaces and given contents more detailed. Like we are having a specific perspective here we are sitting in your studio my studio on chairs and the ai would have a 360 degree perspective the ai mm -hmm. would see what is under your chair under my chair and behind the images on your wall and that is something that um, we can use ai for to analyze to see structures and patterns and then there's a third type of creativity and that is a jump it's a leap it's transformative and that is the big question is it possible to get there with ai and i had a chance um three months ago to talk with one of the guys that um, were responsible in setting up the stable diffusion model and I said, are you familiar with this creative creativity theory? And what do you think about it? Do you think it's possible for AI also to, to be transformative? And he doubted it. He, he said he's very skeptical. Um, he wouldn't say 100% no. Um, but um, yeah, he doesn't see it. Mm. And that is something um, that made me think that um, we have no ideas on how to structure the future of uh, creative collaboration between man and machine. And mm -hmm. these are things we need to talk about. If AI is very good in combining things, um, we can outsource it. Yeah, 
And then we can use the results to concentrate more on transformative creativity. That would be something to do. And it could help to get somewhere else. Uh, the doomers, they only say, okay, AI is as creative as humans. That was something that was typically human. What's left for us? Yeah, isn't it depressive? Mm -hmm. Do we really want to go to an exhibition and to the movies and see things that are AI generated? Uh, and I often come with studies that um, gives a different perspective. And that study is on chess. <laughs> I played chess. chess as a teenager, chess, uh -huh. yeah. But, you know, chess computers had been like one of the first uh, yeah. kind of like machines to beat yeah. humans. Yeah. And they are so strong that we can't win against chess computers anymore. But did we stop playing? No, <laughs> we didn't. We, we use the computers now for training. And yeah. the level on which humans are playing chess today is much higher than before the invention of chess computers. So that could also be a perspective for human creativity. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me interject here because that's, that's an interesting, I'm going to make maybe a sort of a, not, not the highest intellectual correlation, but I know one of the things that you and I talked about when we were sitting down having coffee, we had, uh, we have a, a similar uh, taste in, in music or similar uh, background in, in the music that we grew up with. And, and why I'm bringing this up, I think is because, so you can maybe make a correlation between electronic instruments, drum machine synthesizers versus human beings playing, uh, playing music. Uh, creating the sounds themselves. And so if you go, you know, musical expression exists for, you know, a millennium, right? So yet, not until quite recently, the, the ability and thanks to uh, technology and electronics or whatever it is to be able to free up uh, aspects of uh, musical performance that now could rely on music, on, on machines rather. There was a similar pushback, I know, from, you know, traditional musicians that were saying like, you know, like, and I'm going to dumb it down, but it was like, you know, rock musicians who were saying like, uh, you know, I'll never use a drum machine or a synthesizer or whatever. This, this sort of uh, resistance to technology, because it will take the place of human expression or teaching, like you just said, it's a teach, like for chess. Machines are training people and now they're able to like, it, it's, it's the same with like, uh, I think athletic performance, you know, the, the, you know, the, the using technology to make better athletic performances or run faster or distances or throw a ball, uh, faster or more accurately, all of those things, it's, it's, it doesn't bring an end to what's come before. It transforms um, it. It does it. And, and philosophically spoken, we are um, animals that only survive and came to where we are today by inventing tools and using them because we don't fit into a certain environment. It's not like we are perfectly made to live in the heat or to live in the cold. We can live in both, but we need tools. Yeah, we need clothes and shelters and fire and so on. 
Um, what we have creating here is an imitation of things that um, could not be imitated before. Yeah, we try to to copy the the human mind, and um, it is something that mankind has always been dreaming of. If you go back into literature and stories. Uh, from the homunculus to um, Frankenstein's monster or the Jewish golem. Yeah, it's always about creating something that is like us, yeah, being like gods in the Old Testament, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and having that, yeah, creation. And I think it's somehow unconsciously driving us. We will not stop. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> this will continue. But um, it raises also the question, if we get there, if we can imitate human thinking, intelligence, whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, what is human? What is mm -hmm. left? Yeah, mm -hmm. And uh, it's a new discussion. Is it then the mix that we have that, we have emotions and desires and that we experienced heartbreak and that a machine will never experience heartbreak mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. but it will work with material that was created by humans yeah that were suffering yeah that were sad or happy um so um, many people use the term soul, again, a philosophical term that is not defined. Um, and they say, it's a machine, it has no soul. Yeah, And I don't want to live in a world uh, where it's just soulless. But um, if we go back to the definition of soul, and it's also one of my favorite philosophical um, topics, um, soul like the German sailor, is coming from a Germanic word for the sea. So, and that is a very beautiful symbol. So, um, you know that the Germanic tribes, they often buried uh, dead people at sea. They were put in a boat and then, then out to the open sea. So, if you take this as a symbol, is my soul green and yours is blue? Or are we both water drops yeah and everything that is around us is yeah an open sea we're all part of it and if this is the case yeah i see a lot of similarity in working with ai and the training data yeah i need to connect yeah as as me being the human being with the material in the training data that was also created by humans yeah being the conductor and if I can do this as an artist, I can have soul in the outcome, yeah, and it can touch people. And you just need to um, to want this to happen and to know how to do it. And it works. I think the electrician was so successful because somehow it touched people emotionally. And I got a lot of responses um, and emails and messages from people that said, I don't care how it was created. It's a strong work and it reminds me of something. There was mm -hmm. an Italian poet that sent me a beautiful email telling me that he's living with his mom. His mom uh, has Alzheimer's 
and he sees his mom in the picture and somehow it's a consolation for him and and he thanked me for it that was possibly the most beautiful response i got hmm. so it's possible so all the arguments that photographers use against ai I also collected for a lecture <laughs> hmm. and then I turned it around and I had a closer look and I said, can't we use the same arguments against photography? <laughs> yeah. Just, just to show that it's more complex. Yeah. Yeah. But if you want to, we can go through them, but well, then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, why don't you, why don't you hit me with just a couple? I'm, I'm curious just to see where you were going with that. Uh, one of the main uh, arguments it's that is it's a black box. It's unpredictable mm -hmm. uh, creating images with AI. And this is what I said before. Um, photography is unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. That is the beauty about it of, of uh, going somewhere with a camera, not knowing what you are going to catch. Uh, another argument was that it's just connecting things. AI is connecting things, training data, et cetera. It all existed before. Um, but as a photographer, I do connect things as well. I need to transform the chaos in front of my lens into connections mm -hmm. between foreground, middle ground, background, framing, focus, et cetera, light. Yeah, it's connecting things. Um, many photographers say that AI is theft. Um, because training data was just uh, collected from the internet without asking um, the producers. And I think that is a problem and needs to change. But I have also seen um, myself and colleagues in photography um, committing some kind of theft, yeah, the various degrees. Um, myself, when I went out photographing, I'm dressed in black. I'm tall, but I'm very silent. I go to Museums Island in Berlin. People don't see me. I have certain spots where I'm basically staying and waiting for things to happen. I have a perfect light situation. It's like a stage and then people come and they don't see me and I don't interact with them. Yeah. Is it theft? Possibly, yeah. In the end, they are not really recognizable as a person. It's more like silhouettes and people. But I had a residency with a photographer friend from Belgium, and uh, I saw him seeing a, a, a park in Portugal and a couple kissing, and he just went there. He took the picture. Mm. <laughs> he smiled at them while taking the picture and said, oh, you're looking gorgeous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> can I take a portrait of you too? And they said, yeah. And then they were posing for him. And he took the second image uh, just as an excuse to have a, yeah, yeah, the yeah. agreement. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. basically it was the first image and the first image was kind of stolen. Yeah. So right. photographers uh, can steal too. Yeah. Well, and let me, let me respond to that in particular, because what part, part of what you're bringing up, is is uh you know uh, uh, people's right to privacy or the the ethics of of uh being out in public and what you described is two very different approaches where you're in a public space you are receding into the background and waiting for 
people to sort of enter this stage area to, for you to, to make the photograph. And from my standpoint, my standpoint, you both had the right to make those pictures because you're in a public space. Uh, the, 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 however, considering that, um, the other photographer going up and taking the first picture of the couple, probably without their knowledge or permission, and then interacting with them to sort of offset the, the, maybe the ethical dilemma there. But is, is that theft? And I don't, I don't, you know, whether it was right or wrong, or would I do that? That's a personal thing. Um, however, I think another thing that you're bringing up as far as what, where do you draw the line or where does not you, where does one draw the line uh, between um, inspiration or influence? Or like if I see, you know, a favorite photographer of mine used a certain camera and a certain film and he shot under certain conditions and I'm going to shoot in that style, um, you know, that's an influence and, and on, mm-hmm. on my work. I don't, wouldn't consider that stealing. I'm in my brain making choices, the uh, decisions of what will influence my creative approach. No different than if the, AI programming algorithms or whatever it is, is referencing its own throwing up its own sort of, Oh, Nick wants a fo- Nick wants an image of a man standing alone on a corner of Albuquerque, New Mexico on a Sunday in the snow. That's my prompt. And it's going mm-hmm. and it's throwing all of this information against like it's parsing all of those little bits together and then presenting this, uh, image to me i can't consider that theft and and i can't like that's to me that's like i walk out in the world and i'm influenced by uncountable things at all times i don't necessarily see that as any different and and so i guess saying all of that and this kind of goes back to this idea of curiosity and imagination and 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 on top of that, you could probably add originality. There is no ultimately there is no originality. Everything is created against the backdrop of of yes, other things. Yes, 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 and no. And and we are all inspired by someone. But I think the task of an artist is um, to um, not to try to, um, to to copy something to be someone else but right. to be inspired by the work of someone else and then to connect your own personality with it. Yeah, You have to bring your own being into the workflow. Yeah. And uh, you had Brian Griffin in the, the podcast earlier and yeah. uh, I loved his album covers of the 80s and I had no idea that they were shot by one and the same person. Mm. I found out 10 years ago when I met Brian for the first time that it was one person doing all of these things that I loved as a teenager. And um, it is something that I always connected to. And he has a certain style that you can see is, is still see. Mm-hmm. Um, if I would then try to copy him trying to, to be a second Brian Griffin, yeah, this is not connecting my personality with his uh, body of work it's more thinking about um why do i love it yeah what yeah. do i love in his work is yeah. it 
Is it the shadow? Is it the situations that he is creating, the atmosphere, and and digging deeper and trying to find reason for your preferences, and then um, making it your own? Yeah, because yeah, making I it think, your own. That's yes, the, that is like, the important. That's the part. and that's the, the you know, I mean, I maybe I was I was. Uh, a little reactionary that, that there's no originality or the, the dismissing the idea of originality. But the, the, what you're saying is it's representing your, you, your personality, your perspective, your, your way of thinking that is original. That ultimately is like, and you can, you know, just like you said, I mean, like I could probably study a video of how Brian Griffin set up a particular photograph and oh there's the position of the light and this was you know uh where he placed the camera and he was using a 28 millimeter lens and all of those things and certainly my motivation wouldn't be like oh well i'm going to pass this off as a brian griffin photograph it's it his his uh creativity inspired me to uh, express my own uh creativity and i i think that that is maybe more to the point of what i was maybe uh, uh, awkwardly uh, uh, trying to say earlier is that um, ultimately, and it all goes really, really back to my original reactions is without your own curiosity and imagination, regardless of what tool you're using. And it could be, yeah. you know, like you said, you know, you said teacup with some fur on it. It could be a block of, you know, a, a, a rock that you pick up off the ground and, yeah. And what you do, you, what you do with that, and do you use it to strike a surface? Do you use it to uh, block out light? Do you use it to make a sound? I mean, that—that's your, you, and your, in, your curiosity and imagination, and uses whatever it is to create. You, you, you were saying earlier about defining creativity. Um, and and I think that ultimately, um, to me, it's that manifestation of if you if you have an active imagination and or a thought in your head, how does it come out? Ultimately, to me, that's the process of creativity. And you said useful versus having a use versus not having a use. I mean, one could argue, as you said earlier, does art have a use? You know, does, I mean. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I have a very clear definition of, of, of art. And um, I despise uh, the traditional question of what does the artist want to tell us? Yeah, mm -hmm. If I want to tell you something, we have a conversation or I'm writing an essay for a paper. Um, I think art should give an impulse to an inner journey. So the better question to ask yourself in an exhibition is um, why, what does a piece, what does an artwork trigger? What kind of emotions, memories, thoughts? Um, am I attracted by the work? Uh, am I appalled? Why? That inner journey is something uh, that I want to have when I go into an exhibition. And I'm totally put off by curators that uh, try to tell me what to think and what to feel mm -hmm. by having a 
big text at the entry or even worse next to a single work because it's limiting on how I can perceive the work. I would like to go to an exhibition where I can interact with the art freely first and I have the explanation of the curator at the end. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. then I can compare it to what I experienced and go back again. But sadly, this is not how curators are, um, yeah, what they are learning at university and so on. And they <laughs> all try to teach the audience. But uh, yes. So as an artist, uh, it's also an inner journey. Um, my self-understanding is that I'm trying to um, understand myself, my psyche, the world around me, how it interacts, and that never stops. We're all going to die unfinished. And my artworks are little postcards <laughs> from, <laughs> from my journeys. And yeah. uh, then... Um, you realize that um, it's way important to be aware of what drives you. Yeah, what is the content of your art? It's not just about style. Yeah, many universities and art schools uh, trying to teach you to have a specific style, but it needs to come out of the content. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, there needs to be an interaction. Otherwise, it's just a visual recipe that you can pour over anything. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> easy. Yeah, easy. <laughs> well, uh, Boris, um, thank you for taking time uh, and, and chatting with me. And this is really, to me, at the at the core of this, conversation is like i said it's utilizing tools to better express ourselves and and to do it with good intentions and not fearing things that are new just because they're <laughs> they're people post, people are opposed to things because they're they uh, new things because i guess they change is is scary and uh, and most people might react to it in feeling threatened by it. But to me as an artist and the core of this conversation was exploring uh, really just another way of, of expressing ourselves. And so um, I think the thoughts you share today are will help me for sure uh, along that journey. So thank you. All right. Well, Boris, thank you so much for... Uh, my pleasure. Joining me and uh, take care of yourself, man. Yes. Thank okay. you. And maybe see you this year in Paris yeah. again. I look forward to that. So there you go, folks. My conversation with Boris L. Daxon. I hope that this discussion opens up the world of AI to you for a little bit more exploration or at least further consideration. I know that my initial reaction to AI was very dismissive, not necessarily that I was worried or afraid of using it, but anytime there's new technology and you can go back to the internet, you could go back to Photoshop, you can go back to when the camera first came around and how painters and artists of the day were uh, threatened by this new technology. 
Uh, we often find that it's always a, a new thing that arrives that takes time to see how it can be incorporated, certainly into our artistic uh, workflow or our artistic practice. And I think that after talking with Boris, I think we may have a better understanding of where AI can be heading and the good, the bad, and the ugly attached to that. And I'm really curious about how utilizing these platforms that are now available to us can inform my own creativity and my own visual work. So I found this conversation with Boris really helpful in that regard. I'll share a bunch of links to the things that Boris and I discussed. Um, there's a lot there to unpack, uh, but I hope it's uh, this has been helpful for you, the listener, to sort of dip your feet in the pool of AI if you haven't done so already. And like it or not, I think this is technology that we're all going to have to be dealing with. So in any event, uh, lots to think about and lots to explore. Um, I also want to just thank everyone for being along for the ride this season. It's been uh, really great to see the audience continue to grow, and I appreciate each and every one of you listening. And then finally, if you could leave a review or a rating on the platform of your choice, if you haven't done so already, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, so that's it for this episode. This has been the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I've been your host, Nick Toro Jr., and until next time, stay well. This podcast has been a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The sounds and music from this episode are courtesy of The Comet Project and Yazar. <laughs>